All right, well, we're there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and I would ask you to put, keep your place there because we're going to come back to it, but uh, go backwards with me in your Bible to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 14. Tonight, we're beginning a new series on the subject of the crowns, and I guess we're in a little bit of a prophecy theme because uh, this idea of rewards and judgment actually falls under the category of prophecy. This is something that's going to come in uh, the future. But as we begin this series, and many times when we begin new series, we kind of have to lay the foundation. Like we did this morning, we talked about laying the foundation prophetically before we can study Babylon and the, the role of America in the Antichrist plan. We kind of have to just get our footing in regards to uh, prophecy. Well, this too, tonight, as we begin this series on the crowns, we're going to talk specifically about the five crowns that is mentioned in Scripture uh, that you can earn. And let me just uh, name them off for you now. The Bible talks about the incorruptible crown, which is a crown given to those that uh, are able to control themselves or self-control. Temperance is the Bible word. There's a crown of rejoicing, which is a soul winner's crown. There's a crown of righteousness, which is for those who finish their course and finish strong. There's a crown of life for enduring temptation. There's a crown of glory that's usually uh, referred to. People will assume that it's for pastors and definitely for pastors, but it's the idea of those who teach uh, the word of God. We're going to take the next five weeks and look at all of those specifically But tonight, before we get into the specific crowns, I want to talk to you and teach you this idea of the judgment seat of Christ, because where we will receive those crowns and where we will be rewarded for what's done at this life is at a date that is appointed for all of us. The Bible says that it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Every man will stand before a judgment. Now, the unbelievers will stand before what's known as the great white throne. And I don't have time to talk about that or develop that. I may talk about it later on in the series. That's where the unsaved are taken before God and basically they are uh, found guilty as sinners and they are thrown into hell. Now believers, those that are saved, will never stand before the great white throne, but there is a judgment for believers. Believers don't get off the hook in regards to a judgment one day. That's why the Bible says, and it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this judgment. All of us will face judgment whether we're saved or unsaved. Now, the unsaved, you don't want to be at that great white throne, okay? You don't want to be part of that. You want to get saved and make sure you're not judged on that day and cast into the lake of fire. But even believers will be judged one day at what's known as the judgment seat of Christ. Are you there in Romans chapter 14? Notice verse number 10. I'd like you to notice how the Bible talks about this judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14 and verse 10 says this, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we, this is Paul as a believer speaking to other believers, he says, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now the great white throne, I want you to remember this, the great white throne is for unbelievers. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. Paul said, we, uh, talking about himself and the church of the, the Rome there, he says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now you're there in the book of Romans. Go back to uh, Corinthians, but go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. So you're going to go past 1 Corinthians into 2 Corinthians. 
And let's look at uh, another passage about this idea of the judgment seat of Christ. The first thing I want you to understand tonight is that believers will be judged. You and I will be judged. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we don't. We bypass the judgment of God. Every person will be judged by God. Now, some who are saved will be judged differently than those who are not saved, but we will all be judged. The second thing I'd like you to notice tonight as we kind of just lay the foundation for this series is that not only will believers be judged, but believers will not be judged for their sins. I want you to understand that. You and I will not give an account to God for the sins that we have committed on this earth. Now, are you there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? I want you to notice verse number 10 and notice what the Bible says. It says, for we, again, talking to believers. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about himself and the church at Corinth. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, notice what he says. That everyone may receive the things done. I want you to notice that word done. Talking about action in his body. According to that he hath done. Again, action. Whether it be, I want you to notice these words, good or bad. Now often people will read this passage and they'll say, See, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be judged for what we have done and whether it is good or bad. And often, you know, people get this idea that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be judged, you know, and they see these words, good or bad, and they say we're going to be judged for the good things we did or the bad things that we did. We're going to get judged for the good works that we did or maybe the sinful things we did. And, you know, I remember even growing up uh, in good fundamental Baptist churches, and this idea was kind of taught, and maybe it wasn't exactly put like this, but you almost would get this idea. It was a scary thought. You almost got this idea that, like, God was going to bring down some big screen, you know, and then he was just going to show you all your sins, you know, and just sit there and ask, now, what were you thinking at that moment? Why, why did you make that decision? And, and listen, you know, that's a scary thought. But here's what I want you to understand. When the Bible says that we will be judged for the things that we have done, whether they be good or bad, that terminology, good or bad, is not talking about sinful or unsinful, moral or immoral. That terminology is referring to whether it has value or not. Remember this morning we were talking about the fact that we must allow the Bible to define itself. So when we see the words good or bad, we can't just assume what those words mean. We have to allow the Bible to tell us what those words mean. So let's do a little bit of Bible study as we develop this idea. Go with me to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. Keep your finger or something there in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We're going to come back to it. But go to the book of Leviticus. you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus 27. And notice verse number 14. Leviticus 27 and verse number 14. Notice what the Bible says. Leviticus 27 and verse 14, the Bible says, and when a man, I'll wait a minute for you to get there, I want you to see it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus 27, 14, and when a man shall sanctify his house, I want you to notice that. We're talking about a house, a place where someone lives, a building, to be holy unto the Lord. And what that means is they're separating their house and saying, this this house, I'm, I'm giving it to God. It's for God's use, you know. Through history, some people have started churches in their house. Some people sanctify their vehicles and say, this vehicle is for God's use. You know, whatever that might be. That's the idea here. And he says, when a man shall sanctify his house to be holy unto the Lord, then the priest shall, and I want you to notice these words, estimate it. Do you see that? The priest shall estimate it. Now, when you get an estimation for a house, what are you basically doing? You're getting the value of the house. 
You're figuring out, what's the value? What is this house worth? I'm, I'm going to get it. I'm going to have somebody give me an estimate on this house so that I can sell it or whatever. And the priest is to come. You didn't think, see, the Bible teaches you about everything. It teaches you about real estate. It teaches you everything you need to know. And he, and he says, the priest come and shall estimate it. Notice, whether it be good or bad. Do you see that? As the priest shall estimate it, so shall it stand. Now, here's what I'm just saying. The house is not immoral. The house is not a sinful house. It's not that the priest shows up and says, oh, this is a wicked house. You ought to see what the, you know, this house has a dirty mouth. This house, you know, watches things it shouldn't watch on TV. This house, you know, this, it's not that he's saying this is a good house and this is a bad house. Like this is a moral house or this is an immoral house or this is a, a, a holy house and this is a sinful house. What he's doing is he's giving us a value. He's saying this is a good house because there's value to it. And then he might look at some shack or a dump and say this is not value. Because remember, they're trying to decide whether they're going to give this house to God. And the priest is basically coming and saying we're going to make sure what you give to God is a value. You're not just giving junk to God. You know, you're giving God something good. And here's what I'm just saying. It says here, is this house good or bad? And you and I would not think of a house and say, is this a, has this house been a good boy? Or has this house been a good girl? You know, they're, they're, it's not talking about morality here. Let me give you another example. Go to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 24. Jeremiah 24. Now, if you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And uh, if you find Psalms, you want to head towards the end of the Old Testament. you got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Now, remember where uh, Psalms is because we're going to actually go right to Psalms here in a minute. But find Psalms and you can move uh, towards the end. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Now, in Jeremiah, he uses terminology that you and I would think, you know, maybe it's a little funny. But I want you to notice what he says. Jeremiah 24, look at verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 1. The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs. Now, what's a fig? It's a fruit, right? You've heard of a fig tree? So he says he's got two baskets full of figs, two baskets full of fruit, were set before the temple of the Lord after that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive uh, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem and had brought them to Babylon. Now, I want you to notice what he says about these figs. Verse 2. One basket had very good figs. Okay, he's talking about fruit here. He says, one basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe. And the other basket had very, now notice what he said. He says, very naughty figs. Okay, now he's not using these words in the way, he's not, you know, we, I, I say to my daughter, Lydia, you're a very naughty girl. Because if you know my daughter, Lydia, she's a very naughty girl. She's, she's the worst baby we've ever had. I mean, as far as she is busy, she's not happy, and uh, she needs a lot of spankings, and we're working on that. But, you know, she's a naughty girl. We would use that about a person. We'd say, you're naughty. Have you been naughty or nice? But here he says, these figs, is not, you're a really well-behaved fig. Every time I tell this fig to clean its room, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. You know, he talks about a good fig and a naughty fig, but notice what defines this, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. Okay, it's like when you say, oh, don't drink the milk. It went bad. Okay, the idea is that there's no value to what they did. It's not that what they did was necessarily wrong in the sense that it was transgressing the law of God or that it was a sin, but there was just no value to what they did. See, one day you and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and God is going to judge what we have done on, in this, on this earth, what we have done with our lives. And he's not going to judge whether you did good things or bad things because here's the thing, you've done bad things. 
And so have I, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's not judging whether we've sinned or not, but he's judging whether we've done anything of value with the time that he's given us on this earth, whether it's been good or bad. Go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 103. Let me give you some verses to prove the fact that believers will not be judged for their sins. Rest assured, there, no screen will come down and show your life and show all the dumb and stupid things you've done and we're all going to sit there and watch and you're going to have to give an account for, you know, why did you do that and why did you smoke that or why did you drink that? That's not going to happen. Now, you know, because here's the thing. I mean, good night. It's eternity, but that would take a long time. <laughs> Just for one of you, you know, I mean, think, imagine all, everybody. Psalm 103, look at verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. Psalm 103, look at verse 12. Notice what God says. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. The word transgression is just another word for sin. And here's what's beautiful about this terminology. I've, I've shared this with you before. Is that he, he says as far as the east is from the west. Because here's the thing about the east and the west. They never meet. Now if he would have said as far as the north is from the south. You know, that's pretty far away. But if you get on a plane and start going north. You start going north long enough. You'll eventually be going south. Unless you believe in a flat earth, and that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I don't have time for that. That's a big thing on the YouTube right now. But, you know, if, if, you're, if you're normal, you know, if you're, like, studied, you know, past Columbus or whatever, and you realize that the earth is a sphere, then if you're going north, you'll eventually start going south. See, north eventually meets south. Or if you start going south, you will eventually start going north. South eventually meets north. But if I get on a plane and start headed east or start headed west, no matter how long I travel, I'll always be going west. I'll never meet east. Does that make sense? See, the east and the west, they never meet. And here's what God says. God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, when God saved you, he removed you so far from your sin that they'll never catch up to you and you'll never catch up to them. He's completely separated us from our sins. See, there is no sin to be judged of once you're in heaven because you're in your glorified body and your flesh has been done away with and your sins have been done away with. Go to the book of Hebrews. Let me give you another example. If you start at the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and move your way backwards, you go past the book of Jude, past 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, James, and Hebrews. So you want to go backwards past Revelation, Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, uh, James and Hebrews. Let me give you another example. Hebrews chapter 8, look at verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 12. He says, For I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness, notice what God says, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Hey, that's a wonderful verse in the Bible. You know, people say, oh, God's going to judge you for your sins at the judgment seat of Christ. Hey, I, we used to sing a song when I was a kid. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. From the book of life, they've all been torn out. I don't remember them anymore. See, God, the Bible says when he put them uh, behind him, he's forgotten our sin. See, when you got saved, God, Jesus actually took your sins from you, and he paid the price for your sins. They've been taken care of. He separated you from them. He's not going to judge you. He's not going to bring them up. He's not going to say, now, what were you doing there, and what were you thinking there, and why did you make that decision? Hey, we've been forgiven for our sins. You Rest assured of the fact that... As a believer, as a believer, you will never stand before God and have God judge you for your sins. Because God already judged your sins on the cross when Christ took your sins. 
The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, that's what salvation is. Our sins were taken. Gone, gone, gone. My sins are gone. So I want you to stand. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will not be judged for our sins. Say, well, what will we judge? What will we be judged for? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 where we started. And let's look at this passage together and we can figure out what is it that God is judging us for. Believers will not be judged for their sins. But I tell you this, believers will be judged for their works. Believers will not be judged for their sins, but believers will be judged for their works. Whether your works are good or bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. Now that's important to understand. It is God who blesses. It is God who gives the increase. It is God who saves the soul. It is God who converts the sinner. It is God. You know, sometimes we get excited. Oh, the church is growing. Well, we didn't do that. God did that. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus, you know, the Bible says that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. God does not judge us for the increase. And here's what I want you to understand. We had a sewing seminar just on Friday, and I told the, the soul owners we were training. God does not judge you, or God does not reward you for how many quote-unquote salvations you get out soul winning. And by the way, as a pastor, God doesn't reward me, you know, how many people come to the church or don't come to church. Is the church growing or is it not growing? That's not what our rewards are based on. Because God does not reward us for what he does. And notice what he says. Look at verse 7. So then, neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watered. He said, no matter what, what part of the process you play the role in. See, sometimes people say, well, I'm not the pastor, you know, so I don't get up there and preach. And, and you know, the things that I do aren't that important because maybe I just drive the van or maybe I just, you know, uh, take care of the sound booth or maybe I just post the sermons on the Internet or maybe I just clean the building. But notice, he says, hey, it doesn't matter if you plant or you water. It doesn't matter what part of the process you take. He, he says it doesn't matter because they're the same. He says it's the God that gives the increase. It's God that works things out. Notice verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Grab a hold of that. If you plant or you water, whatever process, whatever role you play in the process, God says if you're working towards the goal, if you're striving together, for the faith of the gospel. He says, you are one. Now, notice verse 8. Now, he that planted and he that watereth are one. And every man, notice, don't miss this, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own, what's the next word? Labor. You see that? See, you don't get judged for your sins, but you do get judged for your labor, for your work. Notice verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed now, uh, heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, I want you to notice, if any man build upon this foundation, so he's going to tell us the type of foundation that we can lay. Make note of this. If any man build upon this foundation, gold, Silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now, let me ask you a question. If we had gold, silver, precious stones on one side, rubies, diamonds, things like that, and then we had wood, hay, and stubble on the other side, which one would you say is valuable? Not a trick question. 
gold, right? Silver. Oh, man, some of you guys, you know, been getting your wife those gold, uh, you know, just get her a piece of wood, okay? Because hey, here's the thing. Gold is more valuable than wood, all right? Silver is more valuable than stubble, all right? Does that make sense? Precious stones are more valuable than hay, all right? Now, here's the thing. Hay is not evil, sinful. Wood is not bad in the sense that it's, you know, it's, it's a sin or it's a transgression. They're not things, bad things in the sense of they're morally bad. They're just of no value in comparison to gold. And here's what God says. I'm going to try your works because he says you have two types of works. You have works that are gold, silver, precious stones, and then you also have works that are wood, hay, stubble. We all do. We do things that are of eternal value and things that are of no value. Notice verse 13. Every man's work. You got to underline that word in your Bible. Every man's work shall be made manifest. Manifest means we'll be able to see it. For the day shall declare because it shall be revealed. Now, don't miss this by fire. Okay. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend like I understand how all of this is going to work at the judgment seat of Christ because I don't. All right. The Bible says that we look through a dark, uh, through a glass darkly. All right. So we don't really understand how all these things are going to play out. But here's what I want you to understand. God is going to somehow, or this is the terminology he's using, he's going to take our works and some of it's going to be wood, some of it's going to be hay, some of it's going to be stubble, some of it's going to be gold, some of it's going to be silver, some of it's going to be precious, uh, precious stones, and then he's going to try it by fire. He's going to take everything you've ever done in this life, and then he's going to throw it into a furnace of fire. He's going to throw it into a fire. Notice what the Bible says, verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try. The word try means to test, to reveal. Try every man's work of what? Notice, sort, meaning what kind it is. See, the fire is going to reveal, was this work valuable or not? Because here's the thing. If I take silver, gold, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, and throw it all into a fire pit and let it burn for a while, at the end, what will be left over? Gold, gold, silver, precious stones. You know what happens to wood, hay, and stubble? It burns up. See, he's going to burn up the works that were of no value. Notice verse 14. Every man's work shall be made mad. I'm sorry, verse 14. If any man's work abide. Okay, so he burns it all up. Then when it's whatever's left over, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So here's the test. He takes all your works, throws them into the fire, let it, lets it burn for a while. I don't know if we're going to have marshmallows and, you know, I don't know how that's going to work. We're going to let it burn for a while. Then whatever's left over, he's going to say, okay, these are the rewards. He, this is the work worth rewarding. Whatever's left over, he's going to take that and he's going to reward you based on what's left over after the fire. Notice verse 14. If any man's work abide, which he shall build thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Notice 15. If any man's work shall be burned, it got burned up. It was all wood, hay, and stubble. Nothing was left over. Notice what he says. He shall suffer loss. What does that mean? He, he's going to lose out on rewards that he could have received, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Notice, it's not a salvation issue. See, here's the thing. If you get to the judgment seat of Christ, God takes everything you ever did, throws it into fire, it all burns up. There's nothing left. God says, there's nothing I can reward you for. You're still saved. You still get to go to heaven. You, you still don't have to die and go to hell. Hey, that, that's great. You know, he says, he, sh he shall suffer yet, but he, uh, lost, but he himself shall be saved. 
but it's, it's yet so as by fire. There'll be no reward for you. Now, here's what I want you to understand, okay? The rewards that he gives us are those that are of eternal value. See, there's a lot of good things that you can do and that I can do, and they might not be bad things, but you're not going to get any rewards in it for heaven, in heaven. You may, you know, you may coach Little League. You may coach a, a kid's sports team. You may go and feed the homeless. You may go and clean up a park somewhere or paint, you know, help uh, get it uh, uh, fixed up. You, you may, you know, do all sorts of things. You may be in a, in a bowling league or you may even lead the bowling league. Or you, you can, you know, you go and you build a business and you make money and you do, you give it to charity and things of that nature. And please understand me, none of that is bad. We're not talking about sinful things. But here's what you got to understand. If it's not attached to that which is eternal, then God says it's of no value. See, the only things that God rewards us for are the things that last past this life into eternity. Now, if you coach a kid's football team and you get all those kids saved, then you get rewarded for the salvations. You understand that? You go feed a bunch of homeless people and then you get them all saved. You get rewarded for the, 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 the salvation. Today, we, I get mission, you know, missionaries call me every week and you get these missionaries. They want to go to Africa or South America or wherever and they want, you know, to build a well and they want to build a hospital and they want to build a school and they want to build this and they want to build that. Sometimes I ask them, when are you going to build the church? Like, well, you know, I mean, the thing is that we're not going to go there and preach it. We don't want to be confrontational. We just want to help these people. Now, listen to me. I'm glad for those that are getting water to needed people. They need the water. I'm glad for the groceries and for the, for the food, the, the clothes that's being sent over there. I'm glad that they're building schools and, and, and hospitals and things of that nature. But if you never preach the gospel, if you never get them saved, if you never step from the temporal, the carnal, into the eternal, it's of no value. And God says, I can't, I can't. I cannot bless you. You say, well, it's not sinful. But is it eternal? Will it outlast you? Will it outlast me? That's why I've heard about this. We, we help people with groceries. We help people with, you know, financial problems. And we do things of that nature. But listen to me. Our number one focus at Verity Baptist Church is preaching the gospel to unbelievers. Because you can feed their body. But here's the problem. You can feed somebody, but they're just going to be hungry again. But it, like Jesus said, if they drink of the living water, they'll never thirst again. You can settle the matter of salvation, they'll be saved. Here's what you need to understand. Everything we do in life has to be connected to this idea, am I doing it for the furtherance of the gospel? Is what I'm doing helping spread the gospel? Because the only thing of value, eternal value, is those things that are connected to salvation. Now, here's the great thing. You may get to heaven and say, well, I did nothing of eternal value. And you will still be saved. So as by fire. But the rewards, the rewards are connected to that which we do, which is eternal. Go to the book of Ephesians with me. You're there in 1 Corinthians. Go past 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Because let me answer this question because sometimes people will ask. They'll come to a church like ours and, you know, the sermons that I preach at Verity Baptist Church, they're, they're theological in the sense that we give you the Bible in heavy doses. We study the Bible a lot. We look at a lot of scriptures and go through a lot of passages. But you know what? I'm not up here and just giving you some sort of a theological sermonette. The sermons we preach at Verity Baptist Church are application-driven. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Every time you come here, we're going to tell you, here's what the Bible says, theology, and here's what you should do about it, application. 
We're going to tell you, here's what you should do. Here's what you should stop doing. Here's what you should believe. Here's what you should stop believing. Why? Because that's how Jesus taught. Remember the, the parable uh, of, of, the, of the man, the wise man built his house upon the, uh, upon the rock and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. That parable was teaching about the fact of what an individual does with that which they've been taught. Are they applying it to their life? That's why our sermons here are very application driven. So sometimes people come to our church and they'll say, Pastor Jimenez is always trying to get me to do something or to not do something or to, you know, whatever. He's always trying to get us to, to work and to get to work and to get to work. And they'll, they'll say, I thought salvation was not of works. And the answer to that question is this, salvation is not of works. Are you there in Ephesians? Let's look at it quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 8. Hey, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. A gift is free, you don't earn it. It's not of yourself. He says, it's not something you produce. Salvation is not something that comes out of you. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, salvation is free. You don't earn it. You don't pay for it. You don't deserve it. The only reason you got it is because someone else paid for it and gave it to you freely. Amen. That's what salvation is. Salvation is not of works. But listen to me. After you get saved, that doesn't mean that the rest of the Christian life is not of works. In fact, the opposite is true. Salvation is not of works, and then the rest of the Christian life can be summed up in one word, work. Notice what he says, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, notice, unto good works. You were created to do good works. I was created to do good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Walk in what? Walk in work. See, I'm not saved by works. I know. But here's the thing. After you got saved, you became his workmanship. God's working on you. We are laborers together with God. God's working on me. I'm working with God. And my whole life, the whole Christian life is about one thing, work. Say, well, we're not saved by works. But once you're saved, you're supposed to get to work. You're supposed to start doing things. Not just a hearer of the word, but a doer also. Notice Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11. Sometimes people get, say, Pastor, you're always trying to get us to do something. January, it's nine chapters a day. Easter, you're trying to get us to invite people. Spring offerings coming up, and we're going to try to get you to give. All right? Just give me a heads up. You know, and this and that, you're always trying to get, you're always trying to motivate, you're always trying to get us to do something. Ephesians 4.11 says this, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. Notice, for the work of the ministry. My job as a pastor is to motivate you to do one thing, work, because the ministry is work. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work, because the work of God is work, and it's my job to do it, and it's your job to do it, and it's my job as a pastor to try to get you to work, because one day, one day, you're going to stand before God, and if you're saved, you will be judged for your works. That's why the Bible says, obey them, which have the rule over you. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. See, one day I'm going to stand before God. I have to give account for what I did as a pastor. As they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable. Notice what the verse says. That is unprofitable for you. See, the better I do as a pastor, the more motivated I get you to read your Bible, pray, be faithful to church, get the sin out of your life, start doing things for God. The, 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 the more you can get on board with that idea, the more profitable it is, not for me, for you. Because you're the one that gets the rewards in heaven. Let me say this. Number four, believers will want to have crowns in heaven. Go to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 4. 
Revelation chapter 4, God is going to reward us with these crowns. And he gives us five specific crowns, and I believe the reason he highlights those crowns, and there may be more crowns than just the ones, and there may be more rewards. In fact, I, I believe that there are more rewards than just the crown. But I think he gives us these five specific crowns because these are five specific things he wants us focusing on. And here's the thing. If I'm going to play a game, if I'm going to play baseball or uh, football or, you know, not basketball because people my size don't play basketball, but, you know, if, if, if I'm going to play something, you know, I'm the right size for a shortstop, all right? That's good. But if I'm going to play a game, guess what? I want to know what the rules are to win because I don't play to lose, right? That's why we don't play board games at my house anymore because I don't play to lose and neither does my wife. So it's just better for us if we just don't play. You know what I mean? I mean, we, we, you know, I'm not one of these people where I'm kind of like, well, you know, I'm in it, but if we win or lose. Hey, look, if, you know, God is the one that builds the church, but I'll tell you this. If God decides that this church is not going to grow, it's because God decided that, and I'll be okay and content with that, but not because I'm being lazy about it. Because if I'm going to start a church, hey, guess what? We're going to try to reach this community with the gospel of Christ. If we're in it, we're going to do it. If we're going to put our hand to the plow, there's no looking back. We're going to get the thing done. That's how our lives ought to be. And by the way, that's how you ought to live your life. Ladies, you're going to homeschool those kids. Give them a good education. Don't let it be said that there is no school in this city that gives a better education than your house does. You know, you're going to start a business? Get at it. You're going to be at work? Get at it. Hey, whatever your hand finds it to do, do it with all thy might. That's what the Bible says. And we are to work, and we are to give ourselves to work and to get rewards. And you say, well, what are we going to do with these rewards? Revelation chapter 4 gives us an idea of what we may do with these rewards. Revelation chapter 4, look at verse 4. Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. Now an elder is a, is a pastor, so we're assuming these are twenty pastors. And they were clothed in white raiment. This is in heaven. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now notice they had crowns, plural. They had more than one. They'd earned more than one. Because there's five that you can get. And you say, well, what did they do with these crowns? Look at verse 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. And worship him that liveth forever and ever. Notice what they do. And cast their crowns before the throne. Saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Amen. See, the Bible is alluding here to the fact that, you say, well, what am I going to do with these crowns? I don't need a crown. I don't want to wear a crown. I'm not a hat guy, you know, whatever. But here's the thing. The point that we get these crowns, the Bible says, is so that we can then turn around and present them back to the Lord Jesus Christ and to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm glad you saved me, but here's the thing about salvation. I didn't have to do anything for it. So then I went out and I worked and I earned these rewards to present them back to you to be able to say, this is how grateful I was for the salvation you gave me. This is how grateful I was for the things. We'll be able to cast those crowns before him to be able to say, I was grateful. I was thankful. Now, here's the problem. Some people, some people are going to get to heaven. Everything's going to burn up because everything they ever did was wood, hay, and stubble. They'll have no crowns. And it's not, they'll be in heaven, but they'll have no way to say. You say, well, I just told Jesus I'm thankful. Words are cheap. And here's what we'll be, we'll be able to tell in heaven if you have no crowns, is that you did nothing, is that you were carnal, is that you were interested in the things of this world. 
in the book of Matthew, Jesus put it this way. He said the things of this world, they're, they're eaten up. Moth eats them up. They get corrupted. They don't last. Go to Matthew 25. Let me, let me show you a couple. One, I'll show you one verse and we'll be done. I'm going to let you out early tonight because I took longer this morning. Matthew uh, 25. And let me say this about these crowns, about rewards. Is it helps us to remember why we do what we do. You know, for those of you that are the real faithful to our church, and I appreciate each and every one of you, but, you know, if you come to our church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning, and then you show up for this activity and that activity, you know, there comes a time where we spend so much time together, you know, sometimes we start irritating each other, you know what I mean? And, you know, that's just, fam- you know, that's just church life, you know, we, we spend so much time together, we start getting on each other's nerves, you know, we might start getting upset about, well, why did this guy do that, or why did she do that, or why did he do that, or that's not my responsibility. But, you know, keeping this before us, realizing that the reason we do what we do is not for each other, but it's for God. So it doesn't really matter what so-and-so did, or if they showed up late, or if they didn't show up at all, or if they didn't call, or whatever, hey, we're doing it for God. And here's, and here's the, 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 the wonderful thing about that is it, it, because sometimes we get discouraged. You know, sometimes we'll say, you know, is it even worth it or why am I even doing it? Why am I showing up so early and saying so late and people don't appreciate me and pastor didn't thank me and, and, you know, whatever it may be. And here's the thing. If you're doing it for God, then your reward's coming. You know, on this earth, we might forget. On this earth, we might make mistakes. But here's the last thing I want you to understand about this idea of rewards. Uh, Matthew 25, look at verse 19. Matthew 25, you got the parable of the talents. I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole thing, but I want you to know this. Matthew 25, 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Here's what I want you to understand. This idea of crowns and rewards and judgments, it's not optional. Because sometimes people get this idea. They'll say, well, I don't really care about rewards. As long as I'm saved, I'm good. But listen to me. The rewards aren't optional. At the judgment seat of Christ, God expects you. God expects you to have produced. Here in this parable, we see, notice verse 20, and so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. He gave him five talents, and then he did something with what the Lord had given him. And his Lord said unto him, this is what we all want to hear when we get to heaven. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear that? I mean, I want to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to hear God say that he was pleased with what I did. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto, uh, unto me two talents. Behold, I've gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make the ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And I want you to notice this. There's a guy with five talents who made up another five talents, got the exact same, you know, well done, thou good and faithful servant as the guy with two talents who made up another two talents. See, it's not about the talents because guess who gave you the talent? God did. And God does not reward you based on what he increases. He rewards you based on what you did with what he gave you. So you might say, well, I'm not very talented. And I'm not very, you know, I I don't have this or I don't have that. But if you do your best with what God has given you, God will reward you. Notice verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent 
came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art in a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering what thou hast not strawed, and was and I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, lo there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and sloth. Notice that word slothful. It means lazy. Thou wicked and slothful servant. Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed, not gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. And here's what I want you to say. I want you to understand. He tells this guy, you're lazy. Why? Because he didn't work. You understand that? He didn't work. He was, you know, he, he, he got the, the talent, but he didn't do anything with it. And God says, you're lazy. Now, here's the thing. I don't, want, I don't know about you. I want to get to heaven and have God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were just a one-talent guy, but you did what you could with that one talent, and I'm thankful for it, and I'm glad for it, and I appreciate that. I don't want to get to heaven and have God say, you were lazy. You slothful and wicked servant. You did nothing, nothing with what I asked you to do. Go to Revelation 22. This is the last verse we'll look at. We'll be done tonight. Revelation 22. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at these specific areas in our lives. Specific things. And these are five things. You know, you got to memorize these or you got to write them down somewhere, put them, you know, in front of the mirror or somewhere. You're going to look at them often because these are the five. I mean, if there are five things that you're going to do in your life to get reward in heaven, these are the five you want to focus on. All right. Remember, I gave them to you at the beginning of the service. We're going to look at the incorruptible crown, the crown of self-control. How's your self-control? How, how can you control, you know? Here, you want to know why we overeat, we overspend, we oversleep? Because of lack of self-control. The crown of rejoicing, that's soul winning crown. That's a crown for soul winners. You get that crown, you go out and get people saved. It's not that you got people saved, but you went out and did the work of an evangelist. You did the work of a soul winner. You get the crown of rejoicing. There's the crown of righteousness for finishing strong. For not quitting and giving up, but for staying with this thing till the end. And like the Apostle Paul is saying, I have finished my course. You get the crown of righteousness. You get the crown of life for enduring temptation. We talked about tribulation this morning. You and I in our lifetime, and maybe if not us, maybe our, our children are in their lifetime, will have an amazing opportunity to earn the crown of life for enduring temptations. But even you and I in our lives, will endure, if we endure temptations, can earn the crown of life. And the last one is the crown of glory for those who teach the Bible, for those who invest spiritually into others. Are you there in Revelation 22? Look at verse number 12. We're, we'll finish right here. Revelation 22, look at verse 12. Jesus says this, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his, notice, works shall be. So here's the question I have for you. What are you doing? And as if you're saved, I ask, what are you doing? What works are you doing to get rewarded for in heaven? Because some people are going to get to heaven, and they were good people. It's not that they were bad people, but what they did. See, we focus our time. You, you say, well, I play a lot of video games. Now, listen, you know, I, I'm, you know. Paul, Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. So, you know, I'd encourage you to not spend a lot of time on video games. But here's the thing. You spend time on video games, there is no eternal value. Spend a whole lot of time on Facebook, spend a whole lot of time on YouTube, spend a whole lot of time on this and that. What are we doing with our lives that will be worth anything in eternity? Let's bow our heads and have a word.